What if letting go was the best way to get someone back? Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of a rut into a life worth living. So if you're looking to create a life worth living in your faith, family, and career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and in this episode, we're going to be joined by speaker, author, and coach, Marsha Van Weinsberg. Now, Marsha's going to share with us her story of when her two boys at a young age got addicted and involved heavily with drugs. She found it hard to get them out of that situation, to find support locally through schools and all those things. Just a big challenge to find the support she needed to be able to navigate this. And in the end, we're going to talk about how letting go was the way to go in order to get those kids back. Uh, Those kids, by the way, they're grown up. You want to hear how the story ends. So sit back, relax, grab a notebook and a pen, because here we go. All right, I'm here with Marsha Van Weinsberg calling in from the great country of Canada. I think you're in Canada, right? You're in Canada. I am in Canada. Yeah. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I remember from, it, there's a little accent. It's it's subtle, but it is there. You're right. It's so funny. People <laughs> say that all the time, and I'm like, I don't hear it. I yeah. have no idea. We're the ones who talk weird to you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. And people are like, you got the weirdest Texas accent, Jerry. I'm like, I'm from California. <laughs> I used to say dude all the time, like the stereotype. Uh, so I shared in the intro, most likely that, you know, your early days, of your career, you, you were a kinesiologist, personal trainer, and, and now you're a certified neuro-linguistic programming coach. Uh, you help people rewrite their stories in a sense, uh, got involved in something called hot yoga and, um, you're married with with two boys. Well, not you're not married to two boys. You're married and you have two yeah. boys. There we go, yes. guys. For men, anybody, actually, they're full grown men now. Yeah, yeah. There's that. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to start off with like your family's origin story. Like, how did you and your husband meet? Because my wife and I are suckers for like love stories. And um, so anyway, yeah. How did you both meet? And uh, I think we could figure out how the boys came along. But tell us about the boys afterwards. <laughs> well, we actually, my husband and I met. This is like so funny, but we met in high school. Oh, wow. And yeah, we've been together. This is actually going to be our 30th wedding anniversary this week and coming up. And so it is, yes, we met in high school 37 years ago, just shared my age. Um, definitely, but we met, we met in high school, but we had this really, I don't know, we just, there was something that was so easy about the connection. And I think that was the, that's been like, honestly, one of the biggest blessings in my life because it was easy. And even when it came time to go to university, we were with the, both the first two people in our families to go to university and we agreed you're going to fill out your application. I'm going to fill out mine. We are not going to share a thing about where we're going. Nothing. Not even going to talk about it. I mean, here I am like 18 years old. Like it's kind of seems silly, but it's like, we're not going to talk about it. And whatever happens, happens. He applied for business and I applied for kinesiology. Our number one choices, the number one schools that both had it were in the same city. Oh, wow. And we both ended up going to university in the same city. We had our own, like our own lives at that time. But yeah, we just continued. And I think there's always been a, just to be a little bit gushy for a second, but I think there's always been a place for us to be our own people. And I think that's why it's worked. Oh, it's wow. been it's been that, like we we respect who each other is and get to be our own people. And I think that's really important. 
Yeah, I think that that's what makes for a healthy relationship that you know who you are, you've got your space, you do your thing, and then you get to share that with your partner and vice versa. Your partner has his own identity. He knows what he stands for and says, I want to share all this with her. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, same thing with my wife and I, uh, I mean, we're intertwined quite a bit, but you know, now that we're empty nesters, I work from home. She's like, you need hobbies. I'm like, bugging you is my hobby. And she's like, no, you need other hobbies. I'm like, like podcast. She's like, you turn that into a business. And <laughs> so, uh, like she's let me know it's okay for like her to do crafting for a couple hours, play with the cats. And it's okay for me to, to read or work on something. As long as we also know that we're also in the same home and we come together and we, we spend time together, we talk and we go do things. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Um, have we been doing this the whole time? She's like, yeah, pretty much. I'm like, all right, cool. And I, I think it was just harder to notice because our kids were always um, in the middle of it all, but now they're adults and we're going off on vacations without them and they get hurt and we're like, it's okay. You got to pay your own bills. You want to do adult? Congratulations. <laughs> this is pain. Number one, your parents move on without you. <laughs> it's such a transition, right? When it you is. get from married to before kids, then kids, and then after kids, like empty nesters, it's, it's all changed. And um, I mean, I majority of people that we know closely, they're not together now that their mm -hmm. kids are and they're empty nesters. It's kind of been a bit mind blowing to see how many yeah. didn't make it. And um, so I don't, I certainly don't say we have any magic um, lesson, but I do think that giving ourselves time to be our best selves, to do the things that we love. And then I, I've actually said it and it ties even in with my story that you can't take two broken parts and try and make a full one. A lot of people believe that someone is like going to complete them. I actually don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I think somebody compliments you, but I don't think they complete you. And your job is to be your best self, to take care of yourself so that when you do come back together, it's two holes coming together. That is so much more healthy. And so that's ties in really well with my story too. Yeah. And I mean, we saw it with Dr. Evil in Austin Powers, like many me really never completed him. Um, they, they even had a falling out. So, uh, yeah, sorry, there you go. speaking to my target audience here. <laughs> uh, and then you had two boys come along. Um, and it sounds like they're like a year apart, if I remember correctly from your book. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, gosh, what kind of things were they into when they were younger? A lot of sports, a okay. lot of sports, a lot of um, activities. They were both quite athletic um, and we were really busy with sports. Like it was a very, but we're both, my husband and I are very involved in sports. So it was just, it was a natural pro progression. Um, when I think back to those times, I wish I would have just allowed more time for fun as opposed to just organized sports. It wasn't just oh, organized wow. sports, but they really did. It became quite busy hectic we didn't fall into the trap of you know they have to do like five sports and all these things it just was really busy it was really busy and that would be the one thing that you know if i look back i think i wish it would we would have just allowed more time for fun as opposed to like organized sports yeah yeah i remember experiencing similar strain uh our kids were just in one event each like our daughter yeah. was doing ballet for years but i mean in ballet, she took like five or six different classes to yes. be the ballerina. And our son was doing baseball, uh, both for a school and, you know, community league. So you have all the practices for that. Uh, and that alone was just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, um, 
Yeah. And, and my wife was there free Uber for years. So, you know, I'm like looking up after I'm home from work, like, where is everybody? Oh, it's dance night. And Jacob's also in baseball practice or a, there's a baseball game and uh, Emma's at a friend's house or, you know, it was just like, um, yeah, not. I think they had a little bit of fun built in, but um, it was usually on Saturday or a Sunday where they just got to bitch out and do their things. So, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Now, I know from reading your book um, when she stopped asking why and you share this tremendously. So, like, you, you have the, the the high school sweetheart that became your husband. You, you both become parents. You have two boys. They're doing sports. Um, they're very active. And then things take a darker turn and um, that's where your story picks up right away uh, that the book you know when she stopped asking why and it's it's one of those things that parents really fear uh, and and you know it's it's they take on not you but the, the children get involved in some things that you really wish they never discovered in the first place and and can you Talk us through um, a, a little bit about what happened and like the struggle you faced uh, as yeah. the parent. Absolutely. Um, yes. All kids experiment. All kids get in. A lot of kids do, and ours didn't go that route. It didn't. It didn't resemble just an experiment. It kind of came. Um, we had drugs come into our life, and it just continued to grow like a monster. Came out of left field. Never, ever, 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 ever saw it coming. Um, I do believe that it was almost a perfect storm, if I can say that. I think it was a perfect storm of time in the sense that um, kids, and I'm going to say here in Canada, I, I don't know what it's like now, but then they had all of the rights and no responsibilities and parents had all the responsibilities and no rights. So it was like actually a terrible storm at the time. And so, you know, here they are over 12 years old, not having to... Um, you know, if they're not going to school regularly at that time, they couldn't fail them. They were not, you know, they, I, I couldn't make a doctor's appointment for them. They had to make it themselves. So there's like all this adult-like responsibility, yet no responsibility. Yeah. And so as it came into our life, we also had a perfect storm in the sense that there were a number of parents that we knew who felt it was no big deal for kids to use pot at 12, 13, 14 years old. And so they just let them do it in the house, but without, you know, ever discussing anything with another parent. So they were exposed from a very young age and we were fighting everywhere we went. It felt like we were fighting nonstop. And so what happened is literally the only people who had a issue with what the kids were doing was mom and dad. And so in their mind, it was like, they were winning, right? They were winning, they were untouchable. And that's really not like teenage years are tough enough as it is. We do not need to be feeding them that they are untouchable because honestly, you're creating monsters when you do that. Yeah. And so that's really how things went. And for, I would say probably four to five years, we literally spent um, time, like I was trying to turn over every rock I could find and counseling and support and programs. What could we do? Who could I learn from? And at the same time, being constantly ostracized by other parents, criticized, judged, um, you know, it doesn't just affect the kids, it affects everyone. And so our worlds became very small and isolating. My husband and I like literally watched multiple relationships and friendships just walk because people were very afraid to be around us. And I'm not judging that because I can understand that. They didn't want their kids near what we were walking through. But what happened is, is you become very, very isolated. 
And through that process, it was like, I want to find solutions. I'm isolated over here and I still have to hold down a job and I've got to go and like fix everything for my clients and put a smile and pretend that nothing is wrong. And so it was this really weird dichotomy of like faking life, drowning and doing it on your own and then still having the problem. No matter what we did, we still had the problem. It wasn't going away. Like it literally, it was just escalating. And I remember at one point taking my little sheet of paper to the counselor, feeling like a really proud student that I had checked off everything they asked me to do. I'm like, see, I did everything you said. And they're like, yes, good job. And I'm like, no, but I still have the problems. Actually, they're 10 times worse than what they were before. And I remember her saying it as clear as day because it's not your problem to solve. You know, and as a parent, that's a really hard, I'm still talking, they were minors. That's a really hard thing to try and swallow and understand. And so through the process, I felt very alone. I felt very isolated. Nobody was talking about these things. And because of all those things, I felt that I was the only person in the world who was struggling. And a counselor pointed me towards a Facebook group. She's like, go find a Facebook group, see if there's other parents involved. And the very first group I found had 100,000 moms in it. And that was my moment that I went, wait, what? Wow. Like, how can there be 100,000 moms over here and I can't find one person to talk to who's going through this? And that was an eye-opening moment for me that that's because nobody wants to talk about these things. And that became a little bit of a, hmm, what can I do with this? What does this look like? And so in that Facebook group, again, I it was an awareness for me. And I'm so grateful that they showed me what life was like for a lot of parents. But I knew I also couldn't stay there because it was very, very, very heavy, angry parents. And I don't blame them. I get it. But I knew I had to do something else. And through the process of being very open with the school, open with counselors, they started to bring us in to talk to other parents. And because they're like, we don't, we don't know what to say. So could you, are you open to that? So we actually did start doing that. And in that, those moments, I had this little light bulb moment that it's like, huh, what if, what if we could do something good with this? And I know that might sound very strange to a lot of people, but it actually became a light bulb of hope for me, to be honest. What if we could do something with this? And slowly over time, I started sharing on a little bit bigger stage and a little bit bigger stages, and then they grew and I started sharing it in um, collaborative books before my own book was published. And I just kept following, I believe, a guided drop down that that's exactly what I was supposed to do. And so through the process, I started to take my most difficult experience and do something good with it. And what I didn't realize is that I was going to start to find my tribe, my people who were like, oh my God, that's my story. And I love what you're doing. And can you show me how to share a vulnerable story? And all while learning how to heal myself on levels that I never knew was possible. So it's, you know, we, as humans, we're so funny. We don't like to start something until we're, we've got all the hows figured out, which yeah. we're actually never supposed to have anyways. Um, and I looked at it and that becomes my evidence procedure when I start something new. It's like, Marcia, you had no idea what you were doing back in 2015, but you just knew you couldn't continue the way that you were doing it. And so that's really how the journey has unfolded. Yeah. I, there's a couple of like aha moments or nuggets that I've picked up just from listening to you speak. Like, uh, you know, there's the initial experience of, you know, the very people you're hoping could help are not, you know, the, the police can't do anything uh, because the law doesn't provide them any tools to do so. Uh, the courts really weren't doing anything like they're like, well, if you want to do something, you got to press charges. Um, the, the schools are like, hey, 
they're kids as long as that's up to you and it, it just kept coming back to you and then you know you're even even your community was like hey we got to protect our kids so we're going to stay away and um and you see that in, in a variety of different I, i've seen it in church communities where somebody's struggling and instead of swarming in to help that person everybody's like oh hey we 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 got to go. We got a thing. And, and, and they leave or they they start to do the one thing that, you know, pastors say don't do, which is gossip about you. And um, and so you experience that. And then you found this this big tribe of people and you're like, oh, wow, uh, maybe this is where I'm going to get fed and helped and I can help others. And, and it wasn't. It was more of like a toxic in, environment where they were just sort of like wallowing in their misery. But what you drew from that was. I'm not alone, though. There's at least 100,000 people in this group experiencing the same thing. They're just not going in the direction I need to go. And and as you're going through this misery, in a sense, it in a sense became your ministry because then the school was like, hey, we have no clue how to help these parents, but the Van Weinsbergs do. And then they start calling you in. And it's like, oh, now we're... <laughs> Like you didn't like have that like bitter, like, where were you when I needed the help? But, um, you were able to share your story with people and that's, and it is what people needed. Like, you know, we may think that we need, and in some cases we do need an expert to come in. We just don't realize that sometimes the expert is the person who's just a few steps ahead of where we are in the journey. And that's what you were for these people. And, you know, for those of us listening into this conversation, like that's who we could be for somebody else. And that's who we probably need to find to help us get to our next level. And, uh, and so all those were just the nuggets I pulled from just this piece. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, so now you've, you've kind of, started to regroup you, you had some professional help guide you through like hey let's sort this out the, the other gold nugget was realizing um this is almost like that parallel to the the serenity prayer you know to, to grant yeah. me that that discernment of the things i can control versus the things i cannot and you know as parents we feel compelled that we've got to be able to guide our children to be perfect little kids to become perfect little adults and we almost forget the parts of they're human too. They're going to make decisions. I know our kids have made decisions that we don't agree with. And, you know, we had to ask ourselves like, well, one, could we control that? No, we don't have a DeLorean. And if we did, it doesn't time travel. So we can't fix what they've done. Uh, how do we guide them through what they've done and, and open that door and keep it open? And we were just fortunate that our kids took the bait and they, they stayed connected and whatever trouble they got themselves into without us telling them what to do, they guided themselves right out based on conversations we had with them. And, and I'm like, Oh man, whew, that could have gotten worse. <laughs> and, um, I, I love what you're saying. And I just, I, I so much love what you're saying. And the one thing I can share is as a parent, um, there came a time, like, here's the thing. I think that we, wear a badge of like, how well did our kids turn out? Oh, they're such a good parent. And I did that for a long time. And I felt like I had failed because of how things had turned out. And it really became this point that I had to talk myself through that our, like when the kids are little, you definitely do have an influence. Of course you do. But, you know, those the kids screaming in the grocery store and you look over at them and it's like you're looking at the mom, like, do something. Meanwhile, the, all of our kids have done that. Yeah. Um, right. But there does come a point in all full transparency. There does come a point. We don't share a brain anymore. 
We literally don't share a brain. They are here to live their journey, make their own decisions. So I actually believe that regardless of our story, I think that's a lesson I had to learn is that it's not whether they do or don't do what I would like, it's entirely up to them and that's the journey. And the one thing that you we, t- we spoke about before we hit record, which I think could be very helpful for a lot of people is that we always tell us there ourselves these stories, right? And and the story, there's two things that happen. There's a story, and then there's the narrative of the story. The story is the story is the story. It's just the facts. I was a parent who was dealing with teen substance abuse. I was overturning every rock I could find. Then the story is not the problem. The narrative that we make about the story is always the problem. The narrative for me was that I had failed. I was terrible. I did all these things wrong. Oh, I have all kinds of evidence that I did because everyone's telling me that I did. The narrative will take you out at the knees every single time. So it's learning how to get back to what is the story. And then from there, you can always change the narrative because you can always change how you see things. And so that is something I still practice that every day. I will say something. I will make a meaning about something. And I'm like, wait, is that the story? No, that's the narrative again. Jeez, Marcia, here we go again. Gets the narrative. It will will knock you down every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not always something as dire as what you were experiencing either. It could be something like... um, Gosh, the the team for this podcast, Beyond the Rut, our year one goal was to write a book. <laughs> and uh, and the book would be the manifesto for the show, and it would be something we could hand out to people. Uh, this is what the show stands for. Why don't you give us a listen? Seven yeah. years go by. Uh, the first five, when we had a team, we were just kind of telling ourselves we were too busy. You know, we got family things to go to. We got work things to do. Uh, we just were too busy to write that first chapter kind of thing. But then when it was just me, another two years go by and it's still like, okay, so why are you still not writing your book? And and these are friends asking me, they're like, you know, it's a goal of yours. It's on your bucket list. You shared your bucket list with us. What are you telling yourself that is keeping you from writing this? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm traveling all the time. Like Jerry, you get up at five in the morning every day. Really? Are you saying you don't have time? <laughs> like, what do you do in that time? Well, I play on my games. Um, I, I social media this or that. And they're like, so what could you do? Different? Like they coached me and I'm like, oh, wow, son of a gun. I've got two hours every morning I could write. And uh, but I had to shift that narrative. And, and deep underneath that, though, like, why am I avoiding it? It was I didn't think I was a good enough writer to put a book together. I didn't think I was an authority enough to write about how to create a life vision for yourself so that you found a life worth living in your faith, family, and career. Like, I'm a fraud. You know, they're going to see right through me. Um, I'm going to be quoting other people who aren't frauds. And somebody else shook me out of that and said, seriously, your your show has been helping people. And, um, you know, you help people with the stories you share that's going to help other people. You're, you're depriving the world of this message. If you don't wrap this story up and share it, I was like, huh. And so, you know, all that to say, those of you thinking, you know, I can't because of this, or I'm not this, I'm not that. If you remove those knots, you can shift that narrative. And, you know, we're talking right now with Marsha, who is a storytelling coach, is a certified neuro linguistic programming uh, coach and, uh, and trainer. And, Really interesting how you go from kinesiologist to turmoil to now, not only have I got my experience, I also have the training to help you um, get out of your funk and live the life you've dreamt of living. And uh, and so I, I think 
a nice good transition from here is, you know, if we have somebody who's stuck, whether it's in a parenting issue or it's pursuing a dream, how do we tackle those? How do we even discover those narratives are are sabotaging our dreams? Wow. There's, that's such a big question and I love it. <laughs> it is. I do and I love it. Um, I'm going to start with something really simple stat wise. And I'm, I could be off a little bit on the numbers, but it's pretty darn close. Like we have an average of 80,000 thoughts a day, 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Of those, 95% are repeated from the day before. And of that, 90% are negative. So for all of those of you thinking, I don't think negative thoughts, and yeah. Okay, unless you're the part of the 10%. We all have them. It's how long do we feed them? That's our subconscious mind. That's literally its job is to keep you safe, but you didn't come here to be safe. And so this is the challenge is that it wants to protect you from, you know, being hurt, being judged, being criticized. So you play small, but then it blocks you from what's available for you in order to move forward. So when you start to understand how your thoughts, your emotions, your beliefs, your actual subconscious mind works, you'll actually learn how to judge yourself less. You'll see yourself as a human like you see everyone else, right? Like we're never, people say, well, I can't handle the judgment and criticism of others. My first question is, is what was the last negative thing you said to yourself or you thought about yourself? And then they'll repeat it. And then I say, and who speaks to you that way? And they're like, oh my God, nobody speaks to me that way. And I'm like, so why are you so worried about what everyone else is saying when the biggest critic is right there inside of your own head? Like there's no one else who will do it like that. So it just is a reframe. I'm really good at reframing how to look at something. And then from there, you know, really what happens is people will reach out and say, I feel like I've got this story. I want to do something good with it but I don't even know where to start. Who's going to care? It's not big enough and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things I like to say is it's like, like you are perfectly designed to support the person that you once were. You are a hundred percent already trained, perfectly designed to help that person. And so how can you start to look at not the details of the story, but the lessons that you learned in that journey? You've read my book. I wrote that six years ago, almost seven. Um, and I've changed, I've even changed and grown a lot since then. But my point is, is that like the story is, I was a parent who dealt with teen substance abuse. The lessons from it are like far and wide. Sometimes the amount of the story that I share is that on a podcast. I was a parent who dealt with teen substance abuse. I don't give a lot of details. You don't have to. Everybody's trying to figure out how to, how do I tell the story? What do I do? And I'm like, you don't actually even have to share much. But vulnerability requires that you share who you are, what you have experienced. You become the mirror so that the people who are meant to hear your message and see you, they get to because you're allowing yourself to be seen. That's really what it comes down to. Is it scary? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Is it hard to sit and do nothing and stay in a miserable mindset? Yes. You get to choose your heart. You literally get to always choose your heart. And I say that all the time. And so I feel like if you are somebody who's listening and it's like, I want to do something like really good with my story, it's possible. It's very possible. Sometimes it's a podcast. Sometimes it's a coaching business. Sometimes it's a book. But I really feel deep down that we all are walking around with these stories thinking we're the only person in the world who's struggling and we're not. We're afraid to share and show up and be seen. And actually, deep down, that's what we're craving the most. We're craving connection and belonging and you know, getting to know others. 
And that's only going to happen when you learn how to share more of who you authentically are. So I hope that answers the question. It really does start with like seeing the power of your thoughts and understanding you're human, how you're processing this is totally human. There's nothing wrong with you. Being able to look at the story and pull out the lessons from there, learn how to share the lessons, and then you get to do whatever you want with it. People will say, I don't want to be on a podcast sharing it openly like you do. I'm like, cool, don't. You don't have to. But the thing is, is that if your story is holding you back from being the version of yourself who shows up for her life, his life in the best way possible, you owe it to yourself to learn how to move through that. Because I can very simply, I say, if you don't own the story, it owns you. Mm. And when it owns you, it controls you, it blocks you, it does everything. So it's very, very freeing and healing to learn how to own that story. Yeah. And I know you referenced Brene Brown quite a bit in your book. Um, and she does that. You know, if, if you guys have not heard of Brene Brown, um, how big is that rock you live under? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, she yeah, specializes in vulnerability, the power of vulnerability. And I know for men, especially in the United States, we're taught that vulnerability is a weakness and weakness is weakness. And, you know, but if you really pay attention to like the tenets of Christianity, weakness and vulnerability is strength. And you're like, huh? And, you know, Brene Brown has like the research to back it. You know, she's got the, the PhD to back it, I believe as well. And it's, it's interesting when you share your humanness with other people. It doesn't have to be on a podcast, like you said. It doesn't have to be in a book. It could be in a one-on-one conversation with somebody who's just hitting their lowest point. It could be with somebody you're butting heads with relationally. And the moment you share with humility and vulnerability and authenticity where you're coming from, all of a sudden, that person sees you for you and they realize, wait, this isn't just some nameless, faceless person whom I'm trying to attack. This is a real person just like me. I'm going through the same thing. All of a sudden they open up and you're like, wait, how did we get here? And it's because one of you was brave enough to be vulnerable. So you, you were strong enough to be weak in a sense. And that was all the connection that was needed. And, and so, yeah, what Marsha's saying, guys, listen to it, take notes, apply it, all those good things. Uh, and so... What we've covered so far is, you know, your your meet cute story uh, with your your high school sweetheart, who is now your husband of, gosh, you said thirty years coming 30. up and yeah. thirty seven years all together together, uh, and I'm like, wait, so that was like sophomore year in high school? Wow, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah sixteen. I did not have that kind of game in high school. So kudos to him. <laughs> uh, I think the longest relationship I had lasted two months. So. Awesome. Uh, that's not the point, guys. Uh, so, so from there, the the dark time in your life, but then from there, that pivot of how you saw the story as it was happening, you, you shifted the narrative so much so that you you were able to heal yourself, take care of you, and be there. It's almost like the story of the prodigal son. Of you know, like when you look at the father in that story, the prodigal son. If you don't know it, the one of the two sons says, "Hey, dad." I don't want to stay here and work. Just give me my inheritance. I'm going to go off and just gallivant around the world and and be a playboy. And so he does. And eventually that son is broke. He's like just done. He's like, at least maybe I can go home and get a job working for my dad. um, And I can at least have a roof over my head and some food. And so he comes back and that dad is able to take him in and, and just welcome him back in with open arms. And I was just thinking about that this morning before our interview. I was like, wait. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Like 
we always have this expectation that we've got to be in misery if our kids are going through a thing. And when you look at the story of the prodigal son, the father didn't let himself go. He didn't give up all his possessions. He, he went on with his life while also missing his son and worrying about his son. Um, and that allowed him to be able to take his son back in when his son did come out of it. And when his son did reach out for help, the dad was in a position to be able to help because he didn't drown himself in the process. And, 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 uh, and that's really the, the big lesson I'm getting from talking with you is that if our family members are going through a thing, it's like in the airlines when the mask drops down, you're supposed to put the mask on yourself first before you go help somebody else, because otherwise you pass out too and you're good to nobody. And, uh, and I think that's really important for it. Like we owe it not only to ourselves, but to our loved ones to really look at our narratives and find out what's working for us, what's not. And uh, I really, I really love that we had that come out in this conversation. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you and have you help them improve their storytelling, help them reframe their narratives, what, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? I have a lot of different um, opportunities and things that I do with clients. But the easiest way to reach me is um, through social media. It's Marsha Van W on almost every single platform. That's my website. I did that because of a very long last name. So it's Marsha Van W. I know, right? <laughs> What's so hard I know. about Van Weinsberg? <laughs> no, it's not. And I've also had 30 years to practice it. Um, so it's not. But it's definitely, that's where you can reach me. I have lots of um, information through my website and things that I do. I help people write their books, start a podcast or um, NLP, like a coaching certification program, which is really, really interesting because it's like teaching you how to become like a certified coach using the tools of NLP, which is really, which is really powerful. And my podcast is called Own Your Choices on Your Life. We are just celebrating episode 600 next week, which is oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, um, but it's good. And so you can reach me on any of those platforms. I'm usually pretty easy to find. And if you can't, you just go to Google and you start typing Marsha Van W and it will come up. Nice, nice. And on top of that, you've got that free quiz on the blocks of your own story. I recommend you go take that. You just go to her website. She's got it right there on the website. You just scroll down a bit and it's there. Uh, any final words of wisdom before we go? No, there, yes, always. I say no. Um, but I was going to say the quiz, um, when you do the quiz, it's free. It will also give you some EFT tapping to support you on what your block is. So oh, wow. that's a freebie that's there. I think the biggest um, words I just want to say is, is that your, like, your story has happened to you for a reason. You get to choose the meaning of that and you get to choose what you do with it. And I just know that um, your story is not too small. It's not, you know, don't tell yourself it's not important. Um, and the biggest purpose in your life could be right there by walking through the thing that you're trying to avoid the most. Like the thing, the, those parts of our stories, so many of us tried to avoid them and they're actually the things that connect us to other people. So that would, that's the thing I would say is just like, be careful of the narrative you're telling yourself about your story. Awesome. Marsha, it was great to reconnect with you and have you on my show for a change and, I and to share this topic with all of our listeners. So thank you for being on here. Thank you for having me, Jerry. Wow. I hope you got a lot out of that conversation. Like I did, uh, even though my kids never went through anything like hers, it did help for me to understand and, and appreciate that sometimes to move forward, we've got to let go of some things. We've got to shed 
the things that are holding us back, the weight that we're carrying that is not our own, so that we can move forward and be a blessing to others. It's kind of like, you know, on an airplane when they say the, the when the masks drop, put one on yourself first before you help other people. That's because you need to be able to breathe to be able to help other people breathe. You got to be able to walk and move forward to be able to help encourage others to come along with you. And if you're so busy carrying other people's weight for them, you're not really helping them and you're just going to bog yourself down. So it's, it's that balance of taking care of you so that you can take care of others. I loved that about this conversation. Now, if you want to learn more about Marsha, how to get in touch with her, how to find her as a keynote speaker and so on, check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 404. Also, if you want to book me to talk at your organization about living a life unstuck and defining success on your own terms through the five F's of faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility, and using the RUT method so that you know your rut to get out of and live beyond the rut, then reach out to me, info at beyondtherut.com. Also, if you go to beyondtherut.com, you'll find links on how to work with me. So there you have it. I'm glad you joined me on this episode of Beyond the Rut. I look forward to joining with you again on the next one. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care.